the light from the sun pierced through the little makeshift shelter that he had made. When he first woke up, he probably thought this is just going to be another miserable day, like many days that he had experienced before. Maybe in his mind, he went back to what started all of this and radically changed his life. Maybe he went back to a day when he looked at his arm and he saw the sore and he had noticed it for a while. It seemed to be changing colors and doing all kinds of weird things, but he really tried to ignore it, hoping for the best. But maybe on that one morning, it was his wife who noticed who he missed desperately and said, you need to have that seen about. So he went to the doctor and he showed him and the doctor said the news that he was afraid he would hear, it might be leprosy. You better go see the priest. It was their custom that if they had something that could be leprosy, that they would go to the priest and they would show it to him and the priest had laws that had been laid out many years before, hundreds of years before in fact, by Moses. And the priest had a specific specification that he was to look at. And, and if he was unsure, the man was to be isolated for seven days and then brought back. And if he was still unsure, then for another seven days. But then eventually, either he would be declared clean or unclean. But for this man, he had been declared unclean. He went out of his place. He went from his family. He went from his friends. Though... In those days when Moses gave the law, the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness and, and a person had to leave the camp. Now they were settled in the land and had been for many years. So he had to leave his small village and live outside of the village. His village was somewhere on the edge of the Galilee and Samaria. As he made his way out that first day, his mind must have been racing, what's going to happen to me? How bad is this? Will I be healed? Will it get worse? How is this going to happen? Am I, am I going to be one of those who have this, this, this version of leprosy that eats clear through my skin to the bone? Will I lose my fingers? Will I lose my toes? How disfigured will my face become? Where else will I get these sores? And most of all, Will I ever be able to talk to anybody again? But very soon, he found a group of people that were facing something similar to him. He actually uh, didn't really think that they would like him because his people and their people didn't really like each other. In fact, they hated each other. But they found a common bond because they were all isolated. They began to live together and they did the best they could to eat and to survive and to comfort one another as they lived in, in makeshift shelters outside of the village, wondering if there would ever be a change in their life, probably many days thinking back to what life used to be like before this came upon me, the day my life changed. On that particular morning, maybe he thought, just another miserable day. Maybe he rolled over 
on the ground and thought, I'll just go back to sleep. Or maybe he grudgingly got up and began his day. Soon he and nine of his friends were together and they're going along and, and all of a sudden they, they see somebody coming from afar and it appears to be the man they've been hearing about. His name is Jesus. Now, they knew that they, according to the law, were supposed to stand there and stay at a distance and holler out, unclean, unclean, to warn people to stay away from them. Now, the leprosy that we have today is not that kind of thing. In fact, most people today say it's not really all that contagious today, and usually it can be handled. But in their day, it was different, and that term leprosy could mean a host of different types of skin disease that could be very disturbing and painful and fatal. And so they were to call out unclean, just stay away from us. And that's what they were supposed to do. But, but they had heard of this Jesus and they had heard that he had healed people who were in desperate need. And so on this particular day, they all gathered and all ten of them hollered it out. And instead of saying unclean, they said, Jesus, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. Save us. Do something nobody else can. Nobody else will. But see, they had heard that Jesus was different. There was something about Him that though, though He Himself, as the Messiah, had given the law, it was His Word, yet He had a power no one else had. And so He would actually go to a leper and touch Him. And He wasn't a bit afraid. What an amazing thing they had heard. Was it true? Would he do something? Would he care? Could he do something? They didn't know. But let's see. And they hollered out, Jesus, have mercy. Help us do something. And Jesus came and he approached them. He looked at them. He didn't say you're healed. He didn't do like at other times, walk over and touch them. He simply looked at them and gave them one simple command. Go show yourself to the priest. Well, why would they do that? Because on the rare occasion that somebody living in that environment actually believed that they had been healed, they were to go to the priest and they would come to the edge of their village or their town, their city. And they would get the word in, please send for the, for, for the priest. I think I've been healed. And the priest would come out and would examine the sores. And again, going back to Leviticus in chapter 14 this time, he would examine the sores to see if it had been healed. And if they had truly been healed, the priest would declare you clean. The thing that every leper in the day longed to hear, you can go back. You can go back to your wife. You can go back to your husband. You can go back to your children. You can go back to your home, to your village, to your friends, to your job. You can once again enter society. The thing that everyone wanted to hear. And so Jesus just simply doesn't say you're healed, doesn't touch them. The spots are still on their bodies. Maybe some of them had lost their digits. But Jesus just looked at him and said, 
Go show yourself to the priest. It's amazing. All ten of them believed him. The spots were still there, but they believed. And so they began walking, headed to their village. Oh, guess what? They lived in two different villages because some were not Samaritans, but at least one was. But they began making their way. And as they made their way to call out for a priest to come and look, all of a sudden they realized, I've been healed. The spots were gone. They took Jesus at his word. They walked by faith despite what they saw. And Jesus healed every single one of them. Wow. This is much different. He didn't touch them. He didn't do like he did the blind man where he spit in some clay and put it in his eye. He, he, he didn't raise them up. He just simply said, go show yourself to the priest. He was telling them, you go and you'll be healed. It, it, interestingly enough, some of them must have thought about the story in the scriptures of Naaman and how that he was told to go wash seven times and to dip down and wash his body seven times. And, and each time he would do it and come up and nothing's happening until that seventh time when he came up being obedient to God and believing God and having faith, he was healed. Maybe they thought of that on their way. The Bible don't tell us what was going through their minds. The Bible doesn't tell us how far they had journeyed from Jesus to the village before all of a sudden they realized they were healed. But what it says is they believed Jesus and they walked and they headed to the village. And as they got there, they were healed before they ever arrived. An amazing thing that God did. But one, that man who woke up that morning thinking maybe this will just be another miserable day. Most likely, it'll be just like yesterday. Now that he had encountered Jesus, he would not go on to the priest till he first returned to Jesus. Why did he come? Why did he turn around? Because Jesus had healed him. Jesus had changed his life. All the hope that had been lost was now restored. And the dream that had faded away, the one day he would be able to re-enter society, had now actually happened. And it was all because of Jesus the Messiah. And though Jesus was a Jew, and though, though the Samaritans knew that most Jews hated them, he ran to Jesus to say, Jesus, thank you. He fell down before Jesus and praised God and thanked Him out of a heart of gratitude for all that Jesus had done for him. And Jesus was amazed. Not because he was surprised at what happened. He knows all things. But his amazement was that this one who was hated by so many even before he had leprosy. This one 
who had been healed along with nine others, was the only one to return and say thank you. There is a note of sadness, yea, tragedy in this story. And it comes with the question of Jesus, where are the other nine? Open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 17, where we read the story in detail that I have just shared with you. We're going to read it now from the text of Scripture, and as we do, I have a question for you. You've heard this story. Maybe you know the story. Maybe you know the story very well. Maybe you have taught the story. Maybe you've told the story. Maybe you've preached from this text. But today I have a question for you that I hope will refresh your view of this story. And here's the question. Where does your story intersect with this man's story? How do you fit in? Where are you at? Verse 11 says, Now it happened as he, that's Jesus, went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. So he probably was in the upper Galilee and he was headed down to Jerusalem. And as we know, Jesus had done in times past. Here again, he decides that he's not going to go all the way around Samaria, but he's going to go through the Galilee, right down the heart and into Samaria and through Samaria and ultimately to Jerusalem. And as Jesus is going, and by the way, did you notice every time that Jesus goes through Samaria, something happens? <laughs> in fact, pretty much wherever he went, something happened. But here he is, he's headed there, and it, it says that he went through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there he met these ten men who were lepers. So they were evidently right on the edge of town. They just barely were outside, probably barely within the law of being outside. And so as he's coming up to the village, they're right there. And they stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned with a loud voice, glorified God, and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Where were, the, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. In reading the story, I ask you today, who is it that you're, you identify with? Where is it that your life right now, where you're at, sitting in this chapel room, where does it intersect with the story that we just read? Who, who do you identify with? And at what point in the story do you identify with that person? Maybe you're here and, and you say, I'm in need. I don't have leprosy, but I have another need. And the need is so overwhelming that I can't get it out of my head. Every, it's what I think about. I, I try to concentrate on something else, and this need is prevalent in my life. Maybe it is a physical need. Maybe it is a spiritual need. Maybe it's a material need. 
but it's a need that you have and, and it's all consuming. It didn't start that way, but, but as time has grown, this is all consuming of your life. It's impacting everything that you do. It's impacting your studies. It's impacting your, your work study. It's impacting your ministry practicum. It's impacting your daily life. It's just so prevalent in your mind. Is that where you're at? Then the story speaks to you and says, run to Jesus. Take the risk. Our group just saying Jesus is calling. His arms are open wide. Take your need to Jesus. Maybe that's not where you're at today. Maybe you have taken your need to Jesus and, and you trusted it to him, but now you're walking. Not to the priest, but you're trying to walk through life. You're trying to walk through your classes. You're trying to walk through just the daily responsibilities you have. But you, you, you just are wondering, you're doubting. Should I keep going? I, I mean, what if I get to the priest and, and he says, what are you doing here? You're covered in this stuff. Get out of here. You're going to make somebody else sick. Maybe, maybe you said, yes, I ran to Jesus and I, and I gave it to him. But, but as you have been walking, you've been picking it back up. And you're beginning to let your faith be shaken. I'll never make it. I won't get through. Maybe even the enemy is helping that along by putting thoughts in your mind. Maybe friends are telling you, forget that Jesus stuff and just go do what you want. Maybe, maybe you're beginning to wonder, does he even care about the struggles I'm facing and the needs that I have? The story speaks to you. And you know what the story is? You know how it speaks to you? Keep walking. Keep trusting. Don't start living by sight. Don't walk by what you see. Don't walk looking at the spots saying, are they going away? Uh-oh, I'm getting closer to town. Are they going away? Test is coming. Are they going away? My car's going to break down. Are they going away? I got this problem. Quit looking at the spots. Quit looking at the need. Quit looking at the trials. And fix your eyes by faith upon Jesus and walk on. He is with you. We talk about perseverance of a soldier a lot around here. You know how you persevere? You persevere by grace through faith alone. Trusting him. When everything else is telling you don't, you trust Jesus and you walk on. Maybe that's not where you identify. Maybe you've already experienced 
the hand of God in such a way that he has handled your problem. I mean, you were walking, you were walking by faith, it was hard, you, you wondered if you should keep going, but you kept going and you worked through it, and man, Jesus has answered. He's given you that peace, you're excited about what he's doing. You don't even want to think about the next trial, but you know that he's handled this one. It's great. What are you going to do with that? Are you going to run to Jesus again? Turn around and run to him, and this time, not, Lord, have mercy, but Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We live in a world, even as Bible-believing Christians, that is full of people that are ungrateful. We even struggle when a secular government tells us we have a day to give thanks, much less the fact that as believers, we should give thanks every day and every moment. We know the command of Scripture is to be thankful. We know that we're told over and over throughout Scripture, Old and New Testament alike, to, to be thankful. We know that we are to give thanks in everything, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And we know we should, but instead of running to Him with thanksgiving, we run away from Him or we ignore Him altogether. But this man in the story ran back to Jesus. Did you remember what it said there as we read it? Verse 15 or 16, it says he, he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. When was the last time you went to Jesus not to bring a need, but just to say thank you? Do you exhibit an attitude of gratitude every day of your life? Have you stopped and counted your blessings, as the old hymn says? Every one of us in this room have so much to be thankful for. We, we live in freedom. We can go to worship We can, we can do it freely. I was sharing with someone the other day how that when I was pastoring in New Hampshire, we had a, a Russian church that used our, our facility. We had a lady that used to get up in the morning and she would, go to a, she would go to a church about a mile from us for their 830 service. And then she would rush over as soon as it was over to come in to Dr. Williams' Sunday school class and catch as much of that as she could. She always came in late because she had to drive that mile. But she would get there. And then she would stay through our worship service. And then sometimes between 12 and, and, and or 12.30 and 1, she would go out to her car and take out a little sandwich and eat a sandwich. And then at 1 o'clock, she was back in the building as the Russians came to, to worship the Lord. And she would be there through one preacher and one worship set. And then through another worship set and another preacher. 
and then through another worship set and another preacher because every Sunday they have three preachers when they gather. I love it. <laughs> first time they invited me to preach, I was the first preacher. And uh, I thought, that's, that's nice. They let me go first. And uh, they had a, they was all in Russian except for me. And so they had a, a teenage boy next to me who translated for me. He did a good job. And then I went and sat down. I didn't know we were going through two more preachers. Uh, I knew one more, but I didn't know two more. And so he sat down next to me, and he whispered in my ear the whole time what was going on in the service. And um, so we went through. We had a second preacher, and then we had a third preacher. Next time they had me come, they, they, I got there, and they said, you're going to be the second preacher today. And I thought, oh, I got demoted. <laughs> and, and so, you know, because my thing is the first preacher, his job is to rev them up, you know, for the other guys. And, and I got demoted. I didn't do a good job last time. And so I sat there, and so I, I, I preached and went through the same thing. And after the service, the brothers, as they called them, that was the leaders of the church, they all gathered with me, and they said, we want you to know that you had the greatest honor today in our tradition that anybody could have unless he was the pastor of our church. And I said, oh? And they said, yes. The first preacher is somebody we don't know, or he's a neophyte. He's young. He doesn't know what he's doing. And the second preacher's job is to correct anything he said wrong. We didn't tell you that because you don't know Russian. <laughs> you don't know what he said. And the third preacher is always the pastor. And it's his job to say what you did wrong and what they're for. And I said, did I do anything wrong? And they said, no, you were okay. <laughs> so that, that's what they did. And she went through that every day, every Sunday. And then at 5.30, they would be finishing up. And she would go out to her car and eat another little sandwich. Because at 6 o'clock, our evening service started. And she would come back in for it. Week after week after week. Dr. Williams, Indiana, I don't know if you remember, but there was always a smile on her face. Always smiling. Always praising God. Always thankful. And after months of this, she came to me one Sunday night, and she said, Pastor, you probably noticed I go to church all day. And I said, yes. And she said, do you know why? And I said, tell me. And this is what she said. She said, because in my country, I didn't get to go all the time. And when I did, we had to make a crazy route to get there, and we went into somebody's basement. And we sang, but we sang quietly. Because we knew that if the government knew we were meeting, they would come, and they would beat us, and they would take some of us to prison, and usually they would kill our pastor. Today I have freedom. I thank God for that freedom. And I'm going to take advantage of it. Listen, every one of us in this room have things to be thankful for. But you also have an extra privilege. You're able to study the Bible in a college setting. You're able to study business from a Christian worldview. You're able to study counseling and education from a Christian worldview and, and do it in freedom. And most of the students in this room are on the work-study program. 
And what costs $30,000 a year for you costs you $3,000 for your room and 12 hours of work every week. You have much to be thankful for. You not only get to go to church, but twice a week you get to come in this room and worship God and hear his word preached and taught by people from all over the country who come here at their own expense, paying their own way to come and share Jesus with you. We have much to be thankful for. Are you grateful? Maybe you have a need. Take it to God. Run to Jesus. Maybe you've read there, but you're picking it back up and you're looking at the circumstances and walking by sight instead of by faith. Put your eyes on Jesus and trust him and keep walking. Maybe he's answered so much for you and you need to be grateful. But there's one other lesson and it's the lesson of the nine. It's the tragedy that I mentioned when I told the story that is here. I can hear the sadness in Jesus' words. Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner, this Samaritan that many of the others hated? Where, where are they? The tragedy of ingratitude. It'll cause you to look at all of the bad in the world and it will cause you to become a bitter old person. And worse yet, one day you'll stand before the one who loves you so much that he's done so much for you in saving you and in giving you opportunities in this life and you'll have to answer for your ingratitude. My final question, what will you do now? Will you run to Jesus? Will you walk by faith? Will you allow your life to be characterized by gratitude? Or will you take God's blessings for granted and go on into bitterness in your life?